0: Good morning. Good morning. I was watching the the weather like everybody else, and uh, seeing what was going on uh, back in Iowa, where we lived for for four years, and uh, saw what was happening, so I I texted one of my uh, former youth members, who, he's an adult now with kids of his own, and I I asked, why would anybody choose to live in Iowa? (laughs) And he wrote back that he was questioning that very thing. Uh, They had had 20 inches within the last few days. Yeah, it's their fault. They could move anywhere. We have roads. But we're glad to be here enjoying this day. uh, And because this is the day the Lord has made, and we're told to do what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, So even, even... Tomorrow and Tuesday when it's cold, that's still the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Last week we did a quick review of the book of Exodus. The last section of the book we studied back in November was during the Israelites' journey away from their captivity in Egypt and toward the land of Canaan, which God had promised to the nation when cutting a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hundreds of years earlier. God redeemed them from their captivity and was going to provide the people with great blessings in their God-given home. The people made a stop on their way to the promised land. Why? They weren't ready yet. They weren't ready. God was going to prepare them and to teach them how they were to live in the land and how they were to relate to God and to each other while in it. For many generations, they lived as slaves in Egypt. They didn't know how to live in Canaan as people in fellowship with the great I Am. The nation was going to spend a lot of time getting prepared to conquer the land and then serve the Lord while in it. In the previous section, God tested the Israelites that we looked at back in Exodus 16. Uh, As a reminder, it said, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would we have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? I thought, I don't know if I'd go to a restaurant called Meat Pots. I don't think I would do that. But to them, that sounded real good. Oh, if we had just killed us back at the meat pots, that would have been wonderful said, But you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Why? That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The people obeyed like slaves obeying a cruel master. Did they know how to obey the I am in fellowship? Could they obey by faith? The answer is no. They needed to learn how to obey God in faith and trust. Moses wasn't prepared either. When God first called Moses to be the spokesman for God before Pharaoh and the people, Moses wanted nothing to do with it. Moses offered up many excuses as to why anybody else would be more suited for the task. But God asked Moses to obey by faith. Moses once thought of of himself as absolutely capable of the task of leading his countrymen out of Egypt. There was no doubt in his mind. His attempt in his own strength failed. He felt rejected, and he escaped to Midian uh, as far away as he could get. Midian wasn't that close. There, Moses became a sheepherder for his father-in-law. Moses was 80 years old when God called him from the burning bush while Moses led his father-in-law's sheep. Moses doubted his own ability, which was smart. But in doing so, he also began to doubt God's ability, which is not. In Exodus 3, 11 through 12, it said, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The sign God gave to Moses to assure Moses that he was up to the task occurred well after the people had escaped from Egypt. Think of all that had occurred between the time Moses first spoke to Pharaoh and then the nation settling in at Mount Sinai. All those events were not a sign that God was the one who sent Moses to lead the people to the Promised Land. The 10 plagues, God says, that's not the sign. It was a sign, but God said, you will know when you return to this mountain. So the ten plagues were not the sign God was speaking of. Uh, the, The parting of the Red Sea was not the sign. God told Moses in that very beginning that the sign would be when Moses returned to Mount Sinai with the people. That is obeying God in faith, even if Moses did so reluctantly. The sign that was to assure Moses that the Lord was the one who commissioned Moses for the task occurs three months after the people crossed over the Egyptian border. Moses had to lead by faith for three months before he saw what and experienced what the sign was. And that's where we pick up our study for today. The people have been redeemed from their enslavement. The people have seen the provision of the Lord. The people have witnessed that the Lord fights for them. The people have been tested concerning their obedience and willingness to trust God And they have evidence that they do not yet trust the I Am that led them, protected them, and cared for them along the journey to Mount Sinai. And it's at Mount Sinai where a covenant is first offered. God offers a covenant with the people of Israel. Looking with me at Exodus 19. We'll spend most of our time in in two places, Exodus 19, and then uh, we'll flip to the, the New Testament to see some parallels. Uh, but we're mostly going to be in, in Exodus 19, and uh, it said in verse 3, While Moses went up to God, <clears throat> the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. Those are the same same groups. Uh, quite often, the way that Old Testament works is poetry is, is uh it rhymes, but it doesn't rhyme sound. It rhymes ideas. Uh, and so you'll see here when it says the, the house of Jacob uh, and the people of Israel, that's that's a rhyme in, in Old Testament, rhyming ideas. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. We see in this offered covenant the benefits. God says, here are the benefits in entering this covenant relationship with me. God's treasured possession A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Before listing the benefits of accepting a formal relationship with God, God reminds the people of what they have already seen God do for them in Egypt and how God had faithfully cared for them along the journey. (coughs) God uses a very picturesque image for how he had come along and saved them from slavery. God says that he bore them on eagle's wings from slavery to soaring with God's care. Now I am not a bird expert, um but uh, I read a little bit about this and where this comes from is that when a when a young eagle is first learning to fly, first learning to soar, that the that the mother eagle will fly with its wing right underneath the uh the eaglet. So that if the eagle struggles at all, the wing of the of the mama eagle is right there to catch them, uh, to to give confidence, uh, to to support and to guide. And God says, "I bore you, and you know this. You experience this. I bore you on eagle's wings. You were new to this, and I was right there with you, supporting you, guiding you, caring for you, protecting you the entire time." and you saw it, and you, you know it. It's based on that that he lists those three benefits. That first one, to be God's treasured possession. That means that they would be highly valued by God. They would be part of God's family. Deuteronomy 7.6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This made me think back to the days of recess when they would choose up teams. My goal was to always be the first one taken. You know the first one taken. Either the, the strut they had as they went to the team captain or you try to play it cool, like, yeah, that's what I expected. Right? <laughs> I loved being the first one taken out of the group. And then, a few years ago, they were choosing up teams, and I was last. And that's when I stopped playing sports. God says, I chose you first. I chose you out of all nations. You are my treasured nation. So, says, be a kingdom of priests. Each member of the nation would know God and have access to God. Each person would have the right and ability to mediate on behalf of God. Of each other I know for for many people the idea of being a priest seems like that's not me if you've trusted Christ as your Savior we'll see that uh, that God says you you have the rights of a priest you have access to me it's amazing the last one to be a holy nation morally pure and dedicated to God they would be set apart to serve God which is the greatest purpose anyone could ever have. The benefits of agreeing to and abiding by God's covenant cannot be matched. Any other way of life, any other opportunity pales in comparison. All that was necessary for Israel to partake in this arrangement was obedience to God. Look at the conditions that God gives. He says, if you obey God's voice, if you obey God's voice, If you keep God's covenant, if you do those two things, all you have to do is obey God's voice and keep God's covenant. That's it. That's all you got to do. While coaching football, I told my players that all I'm asking for is everything they got every single day. That's all I'm asking. And uh, they kind of looked at me like, I don't know if he's joking or not. They weren't sure how to take that. And I repeated it guys all I'm asking for is everything you have every single day do you think any of those players were able to do that so when I said all they had to do was obey God's voice and keep God's covenant what did you think to yourself that's all that seems like an awful lot doesn't it yeah earlier in Exodus we saw that God tested Israel's ability to be obedient to God's commands they failed. The nation had run out of water, which had happened before, and God provided all the water they could possibly drink. When they were without water again, they provoked God by doubting that God would supply their needs this time. They threatened to kill Moses and Aaron and turned their back on God's salvation. They put God to the test instead of trusting God. Does it seem likely that Israel has the faith to obey God? No, that seems unlikely. When Moses spoke to the nation, telling them of the benefits and requirements of being in a covenant relationship with him, particularly the requirement of obedience, Israel does not doubt for a second in their ability to obey every commandment that comes from God. They don't even ask what specific requirements God has set for them. Look in verses 7 and 8 of Exodus 19. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. I've heard it said that when Moses came down with the specifics, and we'll see this next week, and the people agree to it, that they should have said, Moses, get your hine back up there and get us something we can live with. Because there was no way, but instead they arrogantly said, yes, all that the Lord commands, we will do. Maybe they should have thought a little longer before agreeing. Maybe they should have gotten some specifics. Instead, they flippantly agree, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Really? All that the Lord has spoken? I think what they really meant was, hey, we'll give it a shot. But that's not what they said. I don't think they understood the gravity of the situation, but they are about to. Remember that God said Moses' sign that God had sent Moses would come when Moses returned to Mount Sinai with the people. That is about to happen. At verse 9 of Exodus 19, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear what I speak with you, and may also believe you forever when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The glory of the Lord is about to be displayed before the entire nation of Israel. And it was going to be quite a show. What did the Lord tell Moses the reason was for the Lord's coming down to the mountain to speak to him? It was so the people would hear the Lord and believe in Moses' position. Moses told the Lord earlier <clears throat> that, that, uh, that he wasn't an important person that he lacked the credentials to lead the people out of Egypt. Moses said to the Lord, why would anybody listen to me? The Lord was about to give everyone a reason to listen to Moses. The Lord was authenticating Moses to be the Lord's spokesman before all the nation. If anyone rebelled against Moses' position, and they would, they would be an obvious fool and they would risk their own life by doing so. The agreement between God and Israel followed the customs of the times. There are many great similarities between God's covenant with Israel and what's called a suzerainty treaties. I probably mispronounced that, but uh, a suzerainty treaties made between kings and their vassals. Uh, and so God follows the, the customs of that time uh, in, in making this covenant uh, with Israel. In this agreement, God is the absolute sovereign, and the Israelites were the vassals. There was no doubt as to who was in charge. But preparations needed to be made before the covenant was officially ratified. This initial agreement was informal. It was an agreement in principle, but hadn't officially been signed and ratified. The Israelites' initial agreement was an arrangement to continue the process of of agreeing to the covenant before they really started in on the process there were preparations to be made when we have big transactions we have an agreement in principle what does that mean it means we've spoken about it and we, we have an agreement but now we're getting to the nitty-gritty uh, and that's what the Lord is doing here he, he offers this covenant and uh, and they're not accepting the covenant and God hasn't completely ratified the covenant but but it's hey do you want to continue in this process And they said, absolutely, absolutely, they want to continue in this process. But before they really started in on the process, there were preparations to be made. Look at the preparations in verses 10 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. (coughs) Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Not up the mountain, but come to the mountain. They were to consecrate themselves. The people needed to start the process of being set apart. They had three days to get their mind straight and to recognize the solemn vow they are about to take. Remember the first time you bought a house and you were agreeing to place yourself under the authority of a mortgage company for the next 30 years? Before an agreement could be officially made, you had to prepare yourself with all kinds of documentation. The Israelites had three days to prepare themselves. They had to wash their clothes and remain ceremonially clean. They also needed to protect. They needed to set up boundaries so that no person or animal wandered onto the mountain when God descended upon it. God in his holiness would not share the mountain with sinful mankind or livestock. If anything wandered onto the mountain, it was to be put to death by being stoned or shot with an arrow. The people that would enforce the boundary were not allowed to go onto the mountain to get the perpetrators. The message was clear to all the people, stay off this mountain. Do you think they're starting to recognize the big deal that they had, uh, had agreed to continue to participate in? All of a sudden, it was, yeah, yeah, we'll do this. You know, for some, wash your clothes. They're like, oh, I don't want to wash my clothes. I don't think they really had that big of a deal with the washing the clothes, but certainly when the boundary, hey, set up boundaries so you don't wander on the mountain because if you do, you're going to get shot or stoned. Oh, you now have what? My attention. The people waited three days before the trumpet sounded and they could approach the base of the mountain. Verses 16 through 19, really pay attention to the, the imagery that is used here. Uh, in your mind, try to feel what the Israelites would have felt. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in a thunder. The senses of the people were overwhelmed. What do you do when lightning strikes overhead? People instinctively duck, even if we're inside, we duck. The hairs on the back of my neck stand, and I lose my breath. My heart rate increases. While that is going on, the sound of a trumpet can be heard, and it grows louder and louder, giving that kind of foreboding feel to it. I know that many people of a certain age don't like to go into water because you hear the bass guitar or the stand up bass with that Jaws music, right? And it gets louder and louder. That's how they felt with this trumpet. The mountain begins to be covered with a thick cloud and God descends on it in fire. An intense fog descends upon the mountain. The people begin trembling. And their legs go weak. One of my brothers has a healthy respect for heights, particularly the heights that come from using a ladder. And one time he got kind of stuck on a tall ladder. Uh, it was uh, one of those. Um, it didn't. It was all the way extended, and and he was he was painting a gymnasium way at the top, and he got stuck uh, because the ladder was shaking so much he couldn't climb down. Why was the latter shaking so much? Because he was shaking so much. The Israelites were trembling, and the Lord hadn't even spoken yet. The Israelites weren't the only entity to begin trembling. Mount Sinai itself began to tremble. In verse 20 it says, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look uh, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. It was common for pagans to think that the false gods they served resided on top of mountains. Mountain tops. Are well are awe-inspiring when viewed from below. I remember the first time I saw the Rocky Mountains, uh, and uh, and we were traveling through Colorado, and uh, and my my mom said, is, "Is that mountains up ahead?" And my dad said, no nah, that can't that has, that that just has to be clouds." And we got closer and closer, and it was wow, wow it was inspiring to see that. So. The view looking at a mountain is amazing, but when you get on top of a mountain, the view's pretty spectacular too, isn't it? If you were a powerful God, where would you want to reside? Well, a uh, mountaintop sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But the true God is different because he does not make his home on the top of mountains. Isaiah 66.1 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? God said, my throne, I I reside in the heavens. So when we look at Exodus chapter 20, uh, it says, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And said to Moses, you speak to us, we'll, we'll listen. But do not let God speak to us, we might die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. People stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So when God descended upon the mountain, not residing on the mountain, but descended upon the mountain, and all of this had happened. Uh, the people said to Moses, You got this, Moses. You got this, Moses. W- w- you tell us what God said. We don't need to hear for ourselves. We- you just tell us and we'll be fine. If you, if you want to go to the, to the top of the mountain where God is residing, f- please do so, Moses. We have no intention of doing it for ourselves. Uh, the people saw the Lord's authentication of Moses as his spokesman and we're very happy to have Moses fill that position and not them. Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to die. So we see this covenant offered, and the last half of the bulletin notes, save that for next week. I, I recognize that I bit off more than I could chew. Uh, we're not going to get that far, uh, but we'll deal, we'll deal with that next week. But what about us? What about us? Are the benefits of the old covenant available to us if we obey the law, the Ten Commandments? What were the benefits offered by God to the nation of Israel? You have it in your notes. What was the first one? Be God's treasured possession. Second one was be a kingdom of priests. And the third one was be a holy nation. Those were the three benefits God listed to the Israelites. And all they had to do was what? They, all they had to do was obey his voice, uh, be obedient to the covenant. Attempting to keep the Ten Commandments does not save you. Let's be really clear about that. And, and we say that Ten Commandments, we're talking about the, the covenant. Attempting to keep the Ten Commandments does not save you the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law does not save, what does it do? It condemns. That was the purpose. That was the purpose. Romans 5.20 says this, Now the law came uh, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Recognize, increase the trespass, what does that mean? The law... You take sinful mankind and the law and all it does is make sinful mankind want to do what? Sin even more. Does that mean the law is, is imperfect and unrighteous? No. Uh, there's a story about a, a hotel a resort in Hawaii uh, that, um, that one day someone thought to themselves, I bet I could fish from my balcony. And so they got their fishing pole and cast, and they didn't understand physics uh, and how that works, and the lure didn't go out like they thought. What did the lure do? It swung all the way around, came a few floors below, hit the window, and shattered it. Right. So you're the hotel manager, what do you do? Well, let's put signs on the balconies that say what? No fishing from balconies. They were replacing the glass constantly after they put the rule. It never happened except that one time. But you put the you put no fishing from the balcony and now what are people thinking? I bet uh, it must be fun if they don't want you to do it. My mom got me on that one. We had a horse pasture in the that uh, bordered our, our backyard fence. And one day I was in the backyard as I typically was after dinner, because if I was in the backyard after dinner, I didn't have to do dishes. And so I was out there playing and my mom opens the window and, uh, and says from, uh, uh, from the, 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 the first floor, so she was, we had basements in Michigan, so it seemed like it was the second story, but it was just the first story. She opened the window and said, don't touch that wire by the back fence. I had lived there my whole life and never once thought about it. But I was thinking about it now. It knocked me down, is what it did. I think she took a lot of pleasure in that. Uh, that's what happens when sinful mankind tries to obey the perfect law of God. It increases our sin. In Romans 8, 3-4, it says... For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Even the weakened law, right, that uh, we, we dumbed it down. When, when Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, he's like, you, you have the dumbed down version, let me give you the real version. So even the dumbed down version, it didn't accomplish what, uh, what people had hoped. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. How did the justification occur? Was it by the works of the law or by faith in Christ? Faith in Christ, because by works of the law no one will be justified. If you're thinking if I obey God's commands then I can be righteous before God. And Galatians 2:16 says by the works of the law no one is justified. None of us can be declared righteous by God because of our ability to keep his law. We would all fail. And then Galatians 5.4 says this, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So if you decide, well, I'm going to be justified and I'm going to be righteous by my keeping of the law, it says that you have been severed from Christ and from the grace that comes from Christ. The law does not save. It condemns and shows your need for a Savior. Perhaps you are thinking that you know the law doesn't save. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by our righteous works. But maybe you are unsure about our approach to the law as someone who has already trusted Christ as their Savior by faith alone in Christ alone. Do I need to keep the law once I've been saved? Is it a good thing, is it an important thing to keep the law, to, to keep the Ten Commandments after I got saved? And I think that is a good question that many people have struggled with uh, from the very beginning of the church as recorded in the book of Acts. To answer this question, let's turn to the book of 1 Peter, which is in the New Testament. 1 Peter, and we're going to settle in at 1 Peter chapter 2, to answer the question, is it important as a saved person to try to keep the covenant, the old covenant, the Ten Commandments? Let's see what 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says. We'll go through a few verses, more than just 1 through 3. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy and all slander. So, is the New Testament saying sinning is okay, don't worry about it? No, we have have a command what we should put away. Deal with these things, get them away from you. But it says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Christians are told to put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, Uh, they are to long for, instead of those things, they are longed long for pure spiritual milk that is necessary for spiritual growth. Well, what is that spiritual milk? Uh, Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christians come to the living stone. Who is the living stone? It's Jesus. And Christians are like living stones being built up as a temple for the purpose of being a holy priesthood that offers praise and worship that is acceptable to God the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How do we become a holy priest to God? By coming to his Son, Jesus. The law in this is not mentioned, is it? It's not come to him and keep the covenant. It's not come to him and obey the Ten Commandments come to Christ, it ends there, doesn't it? Comes to Christ. That doesn't mean that there's not growth to be had, uh, but, uh, but we become a holy priest to God by coming in faith to Jesus. In First Peter 2.6, it says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What keeps a person from being put to shame? Obeying the Ten Commandments? No. What keeps a person from coming to shame is believe the one who believes in the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. They will be the one who is not put to shame. Under the law, what keeps a person from not being put to shame? Your ability to keep the law. And whoever who was ever able to keep the law in its entirety? Jesus Christ alone. Everybody else is put to shame if their attempt to be righteous is based on their ability to o- obey the covenant. Here it says, the way you are not put to shame is that whoever believes in Christ will not be put to shame. In verses 7 and 8, it says, So the honor is for you who, what? Believe. The honor for being a royal priesthood is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The honor is for those who believe the issue for those that stumble, the issue for those that, that stumble is that they do not believe. It is not their ability to obey the Ten Commandments, it's the fact that they did not believe in the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. It is not that they didn't keep the law, but they didn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. The disobedience isn't a disobedience to the law, but they disobeyed what God's word says about Jesus Christ. And then we get to verses 9 and 10. See if this sounds familiar to you. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is the honor for those who believe God's message concerning Christ? Being a royal priesthood, being a holy nation, being a people for God's own possession. The promise God made in the Old Covenant to Israel was that if they obeyed all that God commanded in the covenant, that Israel would be honored by being royal priests, a holy nation, a people people for God's own treasured possession. The law was given to show the impossibility of obtaining that standing by anyone's ability to keep the law by their own effort. It was a great offer, but the conditions made it what? Impossible. That was the frustration of the old covenant. It cannot be kept. The new covenant is that a person could obtain a righteous standing before God, not by keeping the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The honor of being God's treasured possession, being royal priest, with access to the very throne of God, being a holy nation, purified by the blood of Christ, to serve God and to worship Him, is given to the one who by faith believes in the finished work of Jesus Christ to obtain a righteous standing before God? Without God's mercy, there is no way to receive the benefit of having a covenant relationship with God. Israel is offered a covenant with God that they could never live up to, so that they and us would recognize our desperate need for God's mercy, which He has provided through the shed blood. Of Jesus Christ. Would you like to avoid the eternal shame that comes from disobedience? The solution is not try harder to be obedient to all of God's commands. Try harder in our own ability, fail harder in our own ability. We avoid eternal shame by believing in Jesus Christ as the Savior. Only trust now, He will save you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, Heavenly Father. We recognize your righteous standard to obtain the uh, uh, the great benefits of a relationship. To to be set apart, people. Uh, to serve you, uh, to have access to you, to be valued by you. And Father, many people think that they have to earn that, and they struggle their whole life, always falling short of your standard. Father, thank you that you made a way through Jesus Christ, that he's not just a way, but he said he is the only way. Father, if there is someone here this morning or someone who who, who listened to, uh, to this message uh, over the internet. Father, I, I ask, and I ask this with confidence, that your Holy Spirit would do a work on them, uh, that, uh, uh, that they would be unable to, to rest with the thought of, am I accepted by God or not? And that, Father, if there are people who are trying to uh, earn your acceptance based on their ability to keep your standards that they would instead say father uh, thank you for showing me that it's not how good I am it's about the work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that he died for my sins paid the penalty of sin which is death and that he rose again showing the forgiveness had been given father we thank you for the 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 cov the new covenant promises The benefits of the new covenant which is which is your son's blood that uh, that we can be a treasured possession have access to you father uh, and uh, and be set apart to serve you Uh, father we uh, we need to grow but we know that it's not a growth through the flesh but it's a growth through dependence on your spirit and who's in your son who died for us uh, to uh, to defeat sin so that we are overcomers conquerors through Jesus Christ. We thank you, and we praise you, and we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.